The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Thursday, February 10th here, and it's the kind of day where I just want to fucking go outside and scream out my lungs because it's been so annoying for me today. Mm. It was like at my job, the morning was fine. And then as I close the last hour before I meant to leave, it was like everything fell apart and everything happened all of a sudden. I was like, I need to leave. I need to go record the podcast. Like, what the heck? And then, of course, I get in my car and my gas light goes on and I have to get mm-hmm. fucking gas. And then everyone's driving slow. It's like always happens that way. I hate getting gas. It's the worst part of my week. I try and drag it out as long as I can, <laughs> which is dumb because if I did it sooner, then I would have to spend less time at the gas station. But Normally, I try to just like fill up my tank, even though I have an SUV, so it costs like 80 fucking dollars right now. But last time I did it, I only put in like 25 because I was just like feeling poor and I was like, this is only going to last me like two days and I'm going to regret it. <laughs> so I, I played myself. It costs me like $120 to fill up my car at the moment, sometimes even more. It's crazy. Oh my God. And then, like I've got an SUV too. It's not a massive one, but yeah, crazy, crazy gas prices. I wonder if you convert it to US, like what the difference is. It must be more expensive for you in general, I'm guessing. Well, I think 120 Australian, I know I'm probably going to be a little bit wrong, but I think it would be about, yeah, probably 95 yeah, probably yeah, 95 so ish. Uh, yeah, US dollars. Yeah. Do you, you pump your own gas there, right? Yeah, it's very different here. Like, I've been to the US a few times and I know, like, every time I go to a gas station, I'm like, am I doing it right? What do I need to do? Because here, you just get oh, out really? of your car. He, get out of your car, you fill up the tank, and then you go in and pay. Whereas I know some places I've been to in the US, you've got to go in and pay first. You can't pay at the pump. Well, to be fair, I haven't been to the USA for a few years. You used to be able to pay at the pump here, but since COVID, which seems actually kind of weird they've gotten rid of it but now a lot of gas stations have apps so you get the app for say 7-eleven or something and you pay on the app but i haven't actually seen might just be around me though they used to have where you swipe your card at the thing and you put in your pin number and all that but here now they seem to have gotten rid of that and are all going via app or you can still pay in store so a lot of ours have apps but i just like never use them i just pay at the pump like you just swipe your card and then you pump the gas and then it charges you but in some states here, they have, like, in New Jersey, you're not allowed to pump your own gas. Like, there's attendance, so you just pull up and, like, give them your card, which it's so weird. I like, think it's weird. I, don't, I think here it's just the same everywhere. You just get out and do it yourself. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I, it's very... I don't know if there's any other states, but not many. Like, I think it's just New Jersey where they don't let you for some reason. I wonder why. And, I like, I know when I've been there before in some places, and I don't know if it's still the same, that you have to prepay for your gas. So you have to say... I authorize you to take, say, $60 off my card or something. And then when you've actually pumped it, you go in and they take the correct amount off, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most people, I think, just pay at the pump here. Or if you pay cash, I think you have to go in first and they, like, set it on the pump. Yeah. Well, that's our, our random <laughs> tid- tidbit of the day. <laughs> it's really been a quiet week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Actually, there's like nothing going on. We had a massive storm here last night. I woke up at like 11 o'clock with the dog. We've got an old dog who hates storms. He was on the bed and it just sounded like at one husband at one point my husband said the storm was right like over the top of our house. So it was so loud. And But the kids thankfully slept through it. But yeah, a fun night. I'm having a very strong coffee this morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. The weather's been so boring here lately. It's just like gray every day. I feel like I haven't seen the sun in fucking years. It's finally getting a little warmer, though, but I still am hoping for, like, one good big snowstorm before spring really comes, because we haven't really had anything overly exciting. Just shitty, gross, cold winter. But anyways, I guess we we should get on with it. It's going to be another long one. I think I say that every week, but I feel like it might be today. (laughs) Yeah, so this episode, we're going to be talking about two cases out of L.A., um, two missing people, Heidi Plank and Bo Mann. Heidi has been in the news a good amount. I mean, not lately, but when she first went missing, she was in the news a good amount. And Bo Man has basically gotten no attention at all. So hopefully we can bring some more awareness to his case. Um, the Heidi case, 
Like, I had read about it in the news, but then when I started reading the research you did on it, I was like, this case is absolutely insane. There's so many moving parts. There's so many random things and different things going on. Side stories. Yeah. Yeah, side, but it's like also side stories that might be relevant, so they have mm. to be included. Yeah, it's definitely a very um, convoluted and, you know, yeah, it's an insane case, really, with so many different people involved. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's hard to even, like, come up with a theory. So um, while you're listening along, just take notes and then come up with your theory and let us know, because I'd be curious to know what everyone thinks about this one. Um, and the, and, and so if you are a bit confused, like there's, you know, as we said, lots of different things going on, check out the blog because I'll put all the different kind of sub stories about Heidi's case up on the blog too. So if you ever are unsure or think what is going on, just go and check the blog for Heidi's case. We'll start off with getting into missing Heidi Plank. You're looking at never-before-seen security tape of Heidi Plank walking her dog downtown L.A. less than an hour after she left her son's football game in Downey. It's October 17th. She's walking into the alley behind the Hope and Flower building where her dog was found wandering the 28th floor hours later. Until we obtained this video from a resident in downtown L.A., police listed the 39-year-old Westside mom missing out of Downey. She was seen leaving her home in Palm Sunday afternoon on her way to her son's game. She left that game at halftime with her dog and was never seen again. Heidi's friends are hopeful this new lead placing her downtown could bring a break in the case. Encourage somebody to, to, to come forward and tell us more about what she might have been doing on, in that area with a short span of time between the video and, and the dog being found. It just really seems like that may have been the last place somebody seen her. But they can't help but wonder. The thing that strikes me is that she doesn't have her purse. If you look closely, she has a mask in her right hand and the dog is walking with her he's wagging his tail so i think the mask definitely suggests that she's going into a building or an intent to go into a building so heidi plank was a 39 year old mother of one when she was last seen in la on october 17 2021 as we just mentioned there are lots of facets to heidi's life and i've kind of tried to arrange them chronologically so it might seem like we're kind of jumping all over the place in terms of the storyline but it will all make sense you know once it all comes together so i first heard of heidi being missing from a social media post made by heather altman i don't know if you guys are familiar with her but she's josh altman's wife from the reality show million dollar listing la um heather made a post saying you know has anyone seen heidi and she, i think she's got like hundreds of thousands of followers. So that's how I first heard about it. Heidi seemed to be associated with some kind of very high-flying and affluent people. As a bit of a background and a backstory into Heidi's life, Heidi had been divorced from a man named Jim Wayne. Jim is a prominent hairstylist in Beverly Hills. They have a son together whose name is Bond Mason Wayne, and he's around 11 years old at the time that Heidi vanished. I think he had his birthday right around the time that she vanished, so 10 or 11 uh, the couple had been divorced for around nine years and they seemed to be pretty amicable. I had a look just to kind of get a bit of, you know, background on Jim and he's got a website for his hair salon and it says, if Los Angeles is about glamorous gloss and Manhattan is chic professionalism, acclaimed Vidal Sassoon protege and renegade salon owner Jim Wayne has seamlessly married the two to create the ultimate destination for flawless hair with all of the care and none of the fuss. That was a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. For 25 years, Jim Wayne's salon has been a staple in the heart of Beverly Hills with an extensive celebrity clientele and a passion for comfort, ease and black coffee. Dedicated to your wants and needs, Jim Wayne's salon specialises in top-of-the-line services, talented stylists and most importantly, somewhere where you can always call home. So they were divorced, but Heidi did have a partner in October 2021. His name was Naeem Salam. Naeem is the Vice President of Operations for the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, which is Facebook's philanthropic organization. He lived in San Francisco, so they kind of had a long distance thing going on, but apparently he, him and Heidi had been dating for around three years. As for what Heidi did for work, her LinkedIn, LinkedIn is still up online. I'll put it in the blog. It says that she worked for real estate company Coldwell Banker for 10 years from 2005 to 2015. She then moved to Douglas Elliman, which is another real estate company, and worked as an executive assistant for just under a year. I believe that Josh Altman, who I mentioned before, works for Douglas Elliman, so this kind of might be where her whole million-dollar listing LA connection comes in. 
Her work history is slightly more vague after that period. From 2017 to when she disappeared, she worked as a, quote, controller for Camden Capital Partners. Some articles I've read um, say that Heidi vanished. When she vanished, she was working as the financial controller there, overseeing all employees involved in the accounting process. Heidi's workplace may end up being relevant to her disappearance, which is why we've kind of gone into it in so much detail. In terms of her lifestyle, she was renting a $1.7 million home in Mid-City in LA, and she also was driving a Silver Range Rover, which I've seen was worth over $90,000. She also had a Labradoodle named Seven that she lived with. Before we move on to the circumstances of Heidi's disappearance, I think it's important for us to go back to 2015, where Jim applied for joint custody of their son, Bond. There are court papers that are all public. I'll put them on the blog so you can read through them all. There's, you know, pages and pages of information. But Heidi seemed to have a pretty rough time in 2015. So her son Bond would have been around four then. Jim said in the documents that he feared Bond was at immediate risk of harm. Heidi checked herself into a psychiatric facility in October 2015. But on the second day there, she called Jim and said, can you please take me home? I'm in a scary place and they are molesting me. And when he asked why she felt that way, she said, every time I sit down to pee, I have to poop. Heidi asked employees about in the facility why she had a C-section scar because she denied that she'd ever had a child. And there was another kind of weird experience in 2015 where Heidi called Jim and asked him to pick up Heidi and Bond. He said, when I got back, she was standing outside with our son holding a full plate of bacon. The entire drive home, drive home, she was offering bacon to me repeatedly and seemed slightly intoxicated. So I've, I read all the documents and when they got back to Jim's house, Heidi went with Bond into the child's bedroom. Jim heard a crash, but then he heard laughing. So he assumed, you know, they were all fine. And when he went back in there to check what had happened, Heidi had trashed the room. You can see there are actually photos online of the room. I don't even know what she's done. She's basically... It looks like there was a crib or some type of bed in there. She's taken that all apart. Yeah. Everything's piled in the middle of the room on a rug. Like she's destroyed the room for, you know, that's the only way you can really put it. Yeah, like someone, like a robber came in and like flipped the room. Yeah. Jim in the court document said about Bond, he was very excited and he looked a little guilty and he said, Dad, you have to come see my room. My mum made a mess. Jim said, quote, the room was in complete chaos. I looked out the window and I could see what looked like Heidi's legs going over a fence. The neighbours called the cops after they found Heidi in a backyard and they said she was partially clothed and was shutting an electrical circuit breaker on and off. In other documents from 2016, Jim said Heidi has a history of acting out in volatile ways. He said that Bond liked to play with Nerf guns and that Heidi once fired a Nerf gun straight into Bond's face when he didn't have his protective mask on. You know, Bond got upset and was complaining that Heidi had hit him in the eye and she almost gloated and said, well, you should have had your mask on. So this is a four or five-year-old little boy she's saying this to. Jim also mentioned at one time that he took Bond to a fat burger restaurant. He told me that we couldn't be there, he said, because the last time he was there with his mum, they were kicked out after she had torn pictures off the wall and thrown them on the floor. Jim also spoke about another time that Heidi had built a Lego project with Bond and then she threw it against a wall when they had finished. Jim has also commented in the past about some inappropriate behaviour displayed by Heidi. Heidi and Bond were again playing with Nerf balls and she pulled her shirt down so he could throw them in her cleavage. Jim said, I find this very inappropriate. He said, when she saw me looking at her doing that, she immediately held up a cardboard paper in front of her. And when Bond asked her to put it down, Jim said her response was so incoherent and irrelevant to their discussion that I noticed how odd she was being. Bond told Heidi once that he wanted to stop playing Legos and to have a Nerf war, and her response was, I had spaghetti next week. Bond also asked Heidi once to bring a Nerf gun the next time she saw him, and her response was, you want me to bring over a baby? So there seems to be some things going on with Heidi way back in 2015, at least, in 2016. Yeah, definitely. In the court documents, Jim also alleged that Heidi was addicted to Adderall. He claimed that she would go to three different doctors so that she could get three separate prescriptions. She always paid for two of them in cash so that her kind of drug abuse and doctor shopping wouldn't be discovered. I don't really get how paying cash hides anything because it's like, I don't know, maybe this is like different times, but... 
when you get stuff from the pharmacy, it's all under your name. And it's like prescribed unless she like illegally bought them off the doctors. I don't know. Yeah, but then, yeah, you, yeah, you think if she was, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, it is strange, but maybe that was just made her feel better. I know I've mentioned it in another episode. I don't remember what, but I used to work at a primary care office in in New York, and I'm sure in other states, there's like a big database so that people can't go shopping around trying to get prescriptions from different doctors because it's like you have to log controlled substances and stuff like that into the system. Yeah. So all the different doctors and pharmacies can see. So you could see if someone's trying to get this prescription from three different doctors or got it from this doctor and is now trying to get it from this doctor and when it was prescribed by this pharmacy. So that's how they catch people doing that now. Interesting. I'd like to learn more, but that's all we know in terms of Heidi at the moment, I think. Yeah. Back to October 17, which is the day that Heidi was last seen. She left her home in Mid-City and she put the Labradoodle 7 in her Range Rover. There is some CCTV of her, which I'll put on the blog. She's like wearing jeans, a t-shirt, looks like she's got a sweater or something around her waist and the dog's next to her. So she just looks casual, carrying a coffee, it looks like her drink, walking to the car. She drove to Downey, which was around 17 miles or a 30-minute drive away, to watch her son Bond play football. She'd been planning to meet Jim there to watch the game together. Um, A few days before, the couple had planned an 11th birthday for Bond and Heidi had sent Jim flowers afterwards. It was to thank him for, quote, all you do for Bond. He adores you and you're a very special person to him. So they did seem to have a fairly amicable co-parenting relationship. That's how it appears on the outside anyway. Once she arrived at the football game, though, witnesses said that Heidi seemed off and she was distracted. She was acting fidgety and left abruptly at halftime with no warning. So they thought this was a little bit strange, but thought maybe she had to rush off for work or she had somewhere to be. Um, Bond and Jim did try to contact Heidi for the next few days. Bond sent her a text on October 17, so the next day at 7.31 p.m. He wrote, can you please call me back? I've called you two days in a row and you haven't picked up. The next day on October 19, he tried again and he said, please call or just text me because I want to make sure you're okay and I'm worried about you. And that same day, he also texted, please call mum. I miss you and I'm worried about you. So on October 20, Heidi was due to pick up Bond from school and she didn't show up. That They'd kind of been slightly concerned up until that point, but then they started to panic. Jim went to a West LA police station to file a police report for Heidi and he has said, There was no way, no way Heidi wouldn't show up for Bond. I knew something was really wrong. People just don't disappear. One of Heidi's friends went to her home and reported that there was no sign of Heidi's Range Rover or the Dog 7. Her work cell phone was in the house, along with a laptop, but nothing seemed out of place. Jim managed to get in touch with Heidi's boyfriend in San Francisco, Naeem. He said he had not seen Heidi for a while because he'd been busy with work, but that she had sent him a text telling him that she was, quote, afraid. And she asked him to come down to LA on the weekend that she'd vanished. He was unable to go because of her work and he hasn't seen or heard from her since, according to him. I think it's interesting how Naeem, the boyfriend, is just, I mean, I don't really know, but as far as I've seen, he doesn't seem to really care or be involved in any of this too much. Like her ex-husband, Jim, is the one really um, leading the way and seeming to be looking for her. Seems like they, their relationship, Naeem and um, Heidi's, was maybe pretty casual. Like, you know, I feel like most partners, if you said, hey, I'm really afraid, can you come and be with me? They would come. And then, you know, I know he, he, for him to be busy at work is fine, but you would think that they would, you'd be more worried in a situation. Yeah, it's weird. Didn't say they were together for like a few years. Three years. Yeah, three years, yeah, apparently. Yeah, so weird. So, um, I well, guess maybe he, he seems to have a very high profile job and uh, maybe it's kind of a bit of self-protection or something like that. It may, it may have yeah. just been a casual thing that they had on and off for a few years. We don't know. But, yeah, it does. it's interesting. Yeah. So Jim tried to think of some other ways that he could find Heidi. He tried to use location tracking on the Range Rover, but it had been turned off. He also tried to use the location finder on her earbuds and Apple Watch, which had also been turned off. He said it was really odd. That, have to have, that had to have been done deliberately and systematically. Jim knew that the seven the dog had been microchipped, so he headed to the vet to see if anyone had reported finding a lost animal. While he was on the way, way there, Heidi's work phone got a text, so I'm assuming that Jim must have had her work phone by this point, which had been left in a home. The text was from an occupant of the Hope and Flower building in downtown LA. Seven had been found days earlier on October 17, which was the day that Heidi was last seen, just hours after the football game, wandering around the 28th floor. 
So the Hope and Flower Complex has a website. I had a look at it just to see kind of, you know, get some background on the area and the complex. It says, welcome to the Hope and Flower, two beautifully modern towers located in the heart of LA's coveted entertainment district, offering exquisite rental apartments, steps from the city's best restaurants, nightlife, shopping and entertainment, featuring open concept living, large private balconies, integrated appliances and unrivaled amenities. Hope and Flower puts you at the center of it all in downtown LA. I had a look at the current availability in the complex and the rents seem to raise $6,000 a month. So it's a very upscale new building, it seems. Jim has said, though, that Heidi had no known ties to the complex. They tried to get CCTV from the complex and the management were reluctant to hand it over, but they finally did so when they were served with a warrant. They did find Heidi on CCTV in that area. She was walking the dog in an alley behind the Hope and Flower. So that image of Heidi on the CCTV is now the last known image of her alive. She's wearing the same jeans. It looks like she's probably put the sweater on that she had around her waist, but she's just taking the dog for a walk. When it became clear that Heidi was probably not going to be found quickly, Jim filed for sole custody of Bond. I believe he did this because in California, to put a child in therapy, you need to do it with both parents' approval, and he obviously couldn't get Heidi's approval as she was missing. Jim said that the child needed therapy because he is completely distraught at his mother's disappearance. We are at the point where we have to expect the worst, and accordingly, I am requesting full legal and full physical custody so I can legally enroll Bond into therapy immediately. He said, this is an emergency. If we hear from authorities that Heidi has been kidnapped or has died, I fear that Bond will be extremely distressed and inconsolable beyond his current mental state. I really want to put him into therapy right away to help him cope with whatever news may come our way. So Jim was granted full custody of Bond at that point. I feel so sad for Bond. It must Like my daughter is the same age and I just feel like, gosh, it must be so terrifying and scary and confusing yes so confusing I know that some people have kind of questioned that this seems a bit weird for Jim to do this so quickly as if maybe a little bit of insinuation that this might have been motivation for him to make Heidi go missing but I really feel like this was just as a consequence of her going missing that he had to do this that seems like he's trying really hard to yeah, find her and like get the word out there whereas if I think he did this I don't think he'd be trying this hard no and even like after all the things that we spoke about that happened in 2015 and 2016 he still had joint custody of Bond with Heidi like he probably would have had a case to have full custody then if that like you know but he didn't he seems to have been very um, focused on co-parenting with Heidi throughout the years up until this point yeah it seems like he probably knows and has always known that she struggled with mental health, but maybe, you know, doing her best. And he kind of just wanted to work with her instead of punishing her for it. Yeah. So Heidi's boss at Camden Capital Partners, which was the workplace that we mentioned earlier, is a man named Jason Sugarman. So this is one of the side stories, which, you know, may veer a little bit off topic, but I think it's important because it may end up being important to Heidi's story with whatever happens in the end. At the time Heidi disappeared, Jason was, or and I think he still is, being investigated for $43 million of, in a fraud scheme. Jim apparently received a call on October 21, so just after Heidi went missing, from a Securities and Exchange Commission investigator. He said, they were interested in Sugarman and his company. They wanted to know what I know about them and just generally asked me what I thought about Sugarman, which seems kind of weird why they're asking Heidi's ex-husband about that, but... Yeah, unless maybe it was going on like while they were married too. Mm. And did she work there? I don't know. But it's it's random that an investigator is asking his thoughts what he thinks about him. Like Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so Jason had been charged by the SEC in two thousand and nineteen that he met, he conducted a fraudulent scheme that swindled forty three million dollars out of pension funds and left a native American tribe sixty million dollars in debt. In twenty twenty, his business partner, who is also Jason, Jason Galanis was sentenced to 189 months in prison for his participation in multiple fraudulent schemes, including the tribal bond scheme. Jim has said that Jason Sugarman called him shortly after Heidi disappeared and that he didn't appear to be too concerned that she had gone missing. So I think Jim has been dealing both with Jason Sugarman and with his assistant. There was another time where Jim was on the phone with the assistant and he said, while I was on the phone, I heard Sugarman in the background barking to his assistant to tell me, quote, make sure he knows I want my laptop. 
He said, there was no concern at all from my ex-wife's employer. It's a multi-million dollar company. They didn't offer to hire a private investigator to put up a reward. The only thing he seemed really concerned about was Heidi's computer. But Jim never gave Jason back the computer. He turned it over to police. Jim spoke to Jason's assistant a few days later, and during that phone call, the assistant accused Heidi of stealing funds from Camden Capital. Jim said that he didn't believe that, but the assistant said that they had proof and sent him several of Heidi's personal bank statements. Jim has said that he never really looked at those documents in detail and he gave them straight to the police, but he said that officers later told him that Heidi didn't have a lot of money in her accounts. Many people have kind of questioned how Heidi was working as the financial controller for Camden Capital when she didn't have a college degree or an accounting license. Since her disappearance, Jim has learned that she was making around $125,000 per year, plus bonuses of up to $1.5,000 per month. Hmm. Heidi started out at Camden Capital as Jason's executive assistant, and she worked her way up the ranks to financial controller. Jim said, Heidi knows all of Jason's and the company's secrets. She knows where the bones are buried. It's weird she's getting paid a lot of money when she didn't really have a background in any of it. It's like, are they paying her off for something? Yeah, or using her to transfer funds or I don't know. It's weird. It is, like, you know, I, I get you can work your way up the ranks, but I find it very interesting that she was apparently in charge of all this money for a company when she really had no qualifications. Seems a bit scary yeah. to me. Especially with saying like accounting and stuff like that. You have to go to school for that. Yeah. I think. You can't just make it up as you go along. <laughs> yeah. So the Range Rover that we said Heidi had is described as the top of the line $90,000 model. And her home in LA has been described by LA Magazine as a 2,000 square foot home with 28 foot, 28 foot high ceilings, a floating staircase with glass railings and walls filled with expensive modern art. So she seemed to be living... A very nice lifestyle and she did earn a fair amount of money but whether or not that money would be enough to sustain the lifestyle is I guess what's being questioned. Jim did not pay Heidi any alimony or child support so that couldn't account for kind of anything in her lifestyle. He said he paid her a lump sum in 2012 following their split and he has paid her nothing since. LA Magazine asked Jim about Heidi's finances and he said, you're going to have to ask Heidi. All I know is that she always had piles of cash and took a lot of vacations. She told me that her boss floats her money when they close a deal. So interestingly, when you search for info on Camden Capital Partners, the address for the company is the address of Heidi's home in Mid-City and public records show Heidi as being the only employee currently of the company. Um, Interestingly, after Jim and Jason had spoken Uh, with the assistant, like, you know, through the assistant, Jason went to Heidi's door house and rang the doorbell. When nobody answered, he left muffins on the doorstep. There's CCTV of him doing this too. He's kind of creeping around a little bit, knocking on the door and leaves the muffins when nobody opens the door, which seems kind of like a weird thing to do. He knew Heidi was missing. I'm sure he knew that she hadn't been found. So it just seems like a very strange thing to do I don't I can't even think about his motivation like why he would do that like why muffins it's so random like I like muffins but like why are you bringing them to your missing employee's house maybe she's gonna come out for muffins well yeah maybe he thought that she was kind of hiding for whatever reason and maybe he would entice her out or he had to go and see for himself that she really wasn't there but before we get into the rest of Heidi's story I really need to get in shape for my sister's wedding coming up this summer, but I hate going to the gym so much. I know, Hugh. I've been kind of hesitant to go to the gym lately. It just seems like there's a lot of people around, you know, a lot of equipment. Just it's been a bit hard. So I've been really using this app Fit On. It's just been so, so helpful for me. You can do Pilates, yoga, any like whatever kind of workout you're into, cardio, dance. There's even guided meditation on there. Once you get the app, it's totally free to do all the exercise on there. You can put in your goals, you know, your goal weight, how much time you've got to exercise each day. You can really, really tailor it to kind of help you get the most out of the time that you've got to work out. Wow, that sounds a lot better than going to the gym after work when I'm already tired. So FitOn is the number one premium free fitness app and it's redefining the workout experience. You can text SOCIETY to 64000 to join FitOn for free. Stop paying to work out. FitOn workouts are always free to use. It's been featured in Forbes, US Weekly, People, Women's Health and more. Are you a busy parent and do you have a chaotic work schedule? FitOn has workouts that are as short as five minutes so you can always get in your workout. 
Fidona has the widest variety of workout styles, including cardio, HIIT, strength training, toning, Pilates, yoga, kickboxing, and more. You'll never get bored. Join over 10 million people getting their fit on. Workout for free anytime, anywhere. Text society to 64,000 to join fit on for free. Text society to 64,000. That's society 64,000. Message and data rates may apply. Terms apply. Available at fitonapp.com slash terms. So we're now at October 29, so around 12 days after Heidi disappeared. FBI agents raided her home in Mid-City. This information comes from CBS LA. It says federal agents and robbery homicide detectives from the LA Police Department went into Plank's home with guns drawn on Friday evening. Sources believe that the officers were under the impression that they may have been walking into a crime scene. Reports state that the investigators are looking into every possible outlet of the home to find evidence. Photographers are on the scene as well as nearly a dozen other agents who are scouring every room, the garbage and planters around the home. An evidence van was on scene as recently as 11pm with reports that some files had been taken into custody. Armed with a warrant and with guns drawn, federal investigators and robbery homicide detectives from the LAPD entered the home of the 39-year-old missing football mom. Now they went in and a source tells me that they were expecting to possibly find a dead body. That is not the case. Uh, what they're after, that remains the big question. Uh, some are wondering, speculating, that if possibly what they're searching for are any documents, paperwork related to Heidi Plank's business. Friends and family say Heidi Plank is working for a company that is now under a federal investigation for possible fraud charges. Uh, these federal investigators have searched high and low. They're even looking in plants that we've seen them go into the garbage, searching for any clues as to why this mom disappeared. So whatever they took from Heidi's home during this raid, we don't know about. It's never, ever been made public. And as far as I know, there was only that first initial raid. There hasn't really been anything since. It seems weird to me that, what, like over a week after she's been missing, they like go into her house with guns if something's going to be in there. And they must have known, surely, that other people had been in the house. Like Heidi's friend went and saw her laptop and her phone, and I'm assuming yeah, like, probably the ex-husband had been in there. Yeah, it's very strange that it took them. I'm guessing they needed a warrant, and these things take time, especially if they needed a warrant for financial reasons. Like, you know, also, I don't like, know. Why was it? I just don't get why it seemed like such an aggressive response. Mm. Instead of like, just like why, showing up to the house without guns and just I going wonder who they thought would be in there with guns. Yeah, interesting. Were the muffins still there? <laughs> I really want to know what happened to the muffins. Like, did they just stay on the doorstep forever? Like, <laughs> so after the raid, things went a bit quiet in Heidi's case. Her friends held a vigil at the Hope and Flower Complex for her on the three-week anniversary of her disappearance. They handed out flyers in downtown LA. They were hoping to raise awareness for her case. Her friend Danielle Naldoni said, Heidi is missing. She's well-loved and severely missed. She has a son that misses her. She has friends and family that miss her and just want her home safe. So at the end of November 2021, police announced they would begin searching a landfill in the Chiquita Canyon in the city of Castaic. The purpose of the search would be to, quote, excavate a specific area of the landfill, manually search it for human remains and collect any related evidence. It is believed that that landfill was searched as it is where the waste disposal company that works at the Hope and Flower building dumps its trash. The LAPD also announced around this time that they had found unspecified forensic evidence in the Hope and Flower complex that led them to believe there was an incident resulting in Heidi's death. They've never, ever elaborated publicly about what they, you know, what that incident was and what they found there. But now the LAPD is saying that in the downtown condo complex where Plank's Range Rover was discovered a week after her disappearance, they have found undisclosed forensic evidence that makes detectives believe Plank is dead. So that could be anything from um, a, a torn up room or a trashed room, something where there looks like there was violence or a fight. Um, or there could be blood evidence, DNA evidence. Steve Meister is a criminal defense attorney and former prosecutor. He says given that the building at 12th and Flower is new, investigators might also have a plethora of security video that pointed them in the direction of the landfill. They're trying to find her, first and foremost, and hopefully they find her alive, but they're looking at a place where they would expect to find someone dead. And if they do locate her, her body, 
they'll have additional evidence that they can hopefully gather to figure out what happened to her and who did it. There has been some tabloid news articles about what possibly happened to Heidi. LAPD has never confirmed or spoken about this info. I'm not entirely sure how true it is. Um, I know Stephanie and I were speaking about it earlier. I feel like it could be plausible. Um, It is the second search result on Google, though, when you type in Heidi Plank, so I thought we'll just go into it quickly. Some true crime investigators apparently went to the Hope and Flower building to conduct their own investigation. A woman who lives in the building approached them and said that she saw Heidi die after taking Adderall that was laced with fentanyl at a party on the 40th floor of the complex. The woman said that Heidi apparently knew a dog sitter there, so I'm guessing the dog sitter must have lived in the Hope and Flower building, and she took seven there before heading to the party on the 40th floor. It says, so she was up at this really big party and they were gambling with cryptocurrency. There were a lot of drugs and strippers and they had bought a stripper pole up there and they had a DJ. Heidi apparently knew someone who lived in the building and she'd purchased the Adderall from him on several occasions before. Some comments say they were dating or had dated in the past. Just to be clear, this person is not Naeem, the guy who works for Facebook. This is someone else who we're not entirely sure of who he is. The alleged occupant of the building also gave this further information. She said she did not do any other drugs, but they told me that Adderall was laced with fentanyl. I was told that she OD'd in the middle of the dance floor, fell down and broke a glass that she had in her hand. A group of people tried to revive her, but they couldn't, and they got scared because there was a lot of illegal stuff going on in the apartment that night. So a bunch of them took her out and put her in a garbage chute and pushed her down. The girl who was telling me this was there saw it happen and she heard Heidi fall down the bottom, down the chute, but didn't hear her stop at the bottom. She said she went to check the chutes down to the 28th floor and when she opened the door, she saw Heidi was stuck there. The woman who told me this was in front of three other people who work in the building and they were like, yeah, that's what happened. She shared videos and a picture, which I was told showed the aftermath of the party and that, you know, where Heidi lost consciousness. I don't think Heidi was in these photos from what I've read, but it just kind of shows the scene afterwards. Um, They asked Jim about all this information and he said, I don't know anything about it. I really don't. I spoke to the detective this morning and they were bringing in some different equipment in the landfill and that was it. So, as I said, this information has never really been confirmed of being true. There's a lot of discussion online about it. Heidi's Range Rover was found in an underground parking garage near the Hope and Flower, and it has been impounded by police. So, I feel like that story has some things that could be true. Like Jim has said that Heidi did have an Adderall addiction in the past. Um, but there are some things that don't make sense. Like if three people who work in the building know that's what happened, like it just all seems very strange for all these people to know about it and nothing to have happened so far. I feel the same way. I feel like parts of it could be true, but then parts of it make no sense. Like if she brought the dog to a dog sitter, yeah, why, why was the dog just wandering around? On a different like floor did... to the party, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Like there's some part parts the cover that up just... of like seem to have been embellished while there are other parts that seem like they could make sense. Obviously, I think the part about her being in the trash chute may be plausible because they are searching that landfill, which is where the Hope and Flowers trash does get sent to. My other question is, who are these like true crime investigators that they just let snoop around this very expensive building? Like, is there no security? Did they just let them in to wander around? And I I just cannot believe that three employees are like, yeah, that's what happened. There was a party and she, you know... (laughs) That seems very strange. I feel like they added that in to maybe make it seem more plausible and validated, but it just seems weird. And if they were so worried about all the like illegal activities that were going on apparently at this party to the point where they wouldn't even call police to try to save her from an overdose, they did a pretty shitty job of like getting rid of the body and stuff if that's actually what happened. Like put her in the garbage chute and then she got stuck and like like, it seems like they kind of they didn't fully commit to like covering this up if that's the case. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange story. Possibly maybe some parts are true, but, you know, I feel like what did happen to her probably did happen at that Hope and Flower building, and that's the main thing that I got from that. Yeah, and even the police said that they have some sort of proof that something did happen to her there, but mm. we don't know what. I have read too that, like, I don't know if you're familiar with downtown LA, even though the building itself is quite, you know, swanky and 
expensive. There is a lot of crime in LA generally and in downtown LA. Um, I've read things that there was a shooting nearby. So, you know, just because the building is expensive, I guess it doesn't mean that it's, you know, exempt from being prone to crime and criminal behavior. But um, yeah. Yeah, I just feel like if I'm paying $46,000 in rent, I'd want like not any fucking person on the internet who's nosy about a crime (laughs) to stroll on in. So anyway, it's interesting. As I said, the police have never confirmed any of this except for that there was an incident there and that was it. They are very tight-lipped about this, like to an extent, because I feel like if there wasn't something weird going on, they they would say more things. It seems like there's I wonder, a bigger story going on. Yeah, that's what I, I wonder if they're tight-lipped because it's this case isn't just about Heidi going missing. There's all this other financial stuff going on. Like, yeah. Yeah, I suspect that's probably why. Yeah. So the police have searched the landfill for Heidi multiple times since they first announced their intention to search. One of the most recent articles in relation to this is from January 7, 2022, and it talks about the intention to resume searching the landfill. They had to stop in December due to rain. Jonathan Tippett, who is the commanding officer of the LAPD's Robbery Homicide Division, said we will resume next week. An update will occur if we have a significant find or information associated to the investigation. So that was January 7. As far as I can tell, they either didn't resume searching or if they did, there is absolutely nothing that has been made public about it. I had a look before we recorded today to see if there's any um, updates on Heidi's case and there's not. Most of the articles are like 29th of November, 2nd of December. Um, There's nothing really since like that January 7 article mentioning that they may start searching again is the most recent update. Yeah, definitely kind of wouldn't quiet. Mm. So there are a few things that I'm a little bit confused or unsure about in this case. Um, Like when Heidi went to the Suns football game, which I think was like an evening game, maybe 5 or 6 p.m., they said she seemed edgy. So I don't know what she would have been edgy about at the football game. Obviously she left at half time, but would she really have kind of run away from her son and husband to go to this stripper and crypto party when she literally could have waited an hour or two and it probably still the game would have been over and she could have gone anyway and um yeah just like uh, yeah I wonder what she was edgy about or if that was possibly a sign of the Adderall use well didn't didn't the person say that she like went there to get Adderall from someone like to the party maybe so maybe she was kind of like having withdrawal symptoms and then went not specifically to go to the party, but to, like, get Adderall, and then there was, like, a party there. Which is, um, yeah, I just thought I might as well stay and go to this party. Might as well party while I'm here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I did look up, I was just curious what the signs of Adderall abuse are, and it says if someone's abusing Adderall, um, some of the symptoms can include sociability, talkativeness, fast thoughts, a sense of grandeur, invincibility, and intense well-being. Dry mouth, nausea, vomiting, nervousness, anxiety, and panic. And then it says, like, you know, manipulating doctors, try to get more Adderall. Being fearful of the prospect of not having Adderall, spending a significant amount of time trying to find the drug, using it, or recovering. I thought the the sense of grandeur, the invincibility, um, like, intense well-being, the sociability, talkativeness, fast thoughts kind of just seems like erratic behavior seems kind of on par with some of the things that have been said about her and yeah, well, so that seems she was, like that basically is exactly what jim said she was doing in 2015 and 2016 like that all those terms that you said describe that behavior back then too so this could have been ongoing for years yeah and then it says like if you're withdrawing from it the symptoms can be fatigue irritability anxiety depression confusion and sleep trouble so maybe she was having like some withdrawal and that's why she was kind of irritable or just erratic and she went looking for Adderall and I don't know what happened from there um what do you think happened do you think do you believe that story or I don't know I feel for me I think it could go either two like one of two ways so I think the first I wouldn't be surprised if this did end up being some type of overdose. We know how crazy and rife fentanyl is at the moment. So maybe she did take something that was laced with fentanyl and died at the Hope and Flower Apartments. Um, I suspect that's probably what happened um, in terms of her, rela- her, her relationship, 
In terms of her case and disappearance being related to her boss, Jason Sugarman, again, I don't know. I feel like maybe it all just like she was caught up in this whole world of money and drugs and it seems like her going missing kind of like open pandora's box possibly yeah like maybe she was stressed on an edge because she she knew all these things were happening in the business maybe that in turn kind of escalated her drug use if she was a drug user um i feel like the most likely scenario is that she did overdose and die at the hope and flower and her body was somehow disposed of there yeah i agree i think that she probably went there looking for Adderall, it seems, or some other reason, and something must have happened there. And that's what, I mean, it has to be considering that's why they're looking in the landfill. I guess um, the only other scenario is that Jason, if, if Jason Sugarman is involved, he um, lured her to the Hope and Flower or she went there for some reason and was murdered for you know, as a cover-up for whatever she knows. I have seen some comments online saying that J- J- Jason Sugarman does lease some properties at the Hope and Flower, whether mm. or not that's true. Um, I don't know. Like, that's just speculation online, I think. But I wouldn't doubt it also being a possibility. But just like, well, I mean, obviously the police know much more than they're saying. But I'm just like, it has to, there has to be phone records, like, of why she went there. Like, she must have been texting or talking to someone to at least like be like hey i'm gonna come here to this place like you don't just show up somewhere i um did read some comments on reddit that say that um jason had apparently put heidi's name on some company files um and she basically threatened to out him you know for fraud or you know whatever that kind of thing so maybe that could be a motive for him to hurt her or make her disappear yeah it seems like there's a lot of moving pieces but Definitely, it seems something happened to her at Hope and Flower. Yeah, I agree. I th- I feel like that is definitely the the probably the probable place where she died. Unfortunately, that's really it for Heidi's case. Um, obviously, it's one we'll be following closely. So, if you want to also follow along, just stay tuned because we'll we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So another one that we're going to talk about is another person who went missing out of Los Angeles but has gotten basically no media attention at all. So we thought it was pretty interesting, pretty mysterious, so we're going to talk about that. We are going to be talking about Bo Mann. He is a 38-year-old man who was last seen in Los Angeles on November 30th, 2021. If you Google Bo, there is a lot of information about him online in regard to a company he started called SoberGrid. So SoberGrid is a social media platform that helps people in recovery to connect with each other. And you downloaded the app just to check it out. When I started doing the research, I downloaded it just to have a look and see what it was all about. Basically, it's kind of like Facebook for recovering people. Um, You can log on, put your location in, it will tell you, you know, John is four miles away. And so you can connect with John if you want to discuss, you know, staying sober struggles that you're having and different things like that i saw people posting about their sobriety achievements and other people congratulating them so it's like 60 days sober and like so it's just basically a community specifically for recovering addicts so sober grid has a newsfeed feature where people in recovery can talk and share their stories a burning desire button which you can hit when you need help and a need a ride button which lets other users know that you don't have transportation and say needed to get to a meeting So it just seems, like you were saying, like a way to build a community to all kind of help each other out. Yeah, and I guess everyone's there for the same reason, so it's just for staying sober. Bo spoke to Forbes about creating SoberGrid. He said, I immediately recognized how beneficial such an app would be for people in recovery or people still trying to get sober. I started SoberGrid because I saw an important but at the time unmet need for people in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction to find and connect with their peers. I entered recovery at the age of 23, and I have relied on the support I received from sober peers to achieve and maintain my sobriety. He also spoke about his hopes for SoberGrid during his Forbes interview. He said that he hoped SoberGrid would become a household name in the recovery community. He said, I believe SoberGrid will change the face of addiction recovery by allowing all those in need, no matter where they are, to access life-saving support that will help them recover. 
So besides that, we don't really know too much about his life. Online comments say that he's an entrepreneur, and after owning a successful art gallery in Houston, he spent time in New York City and Boston before moving to L.A., and that he enjoyed drinking coffee and Dr. Pepper. Same. <laughs> Love Dr. Pepper. He has siblings in Massachusetts, and they all met together in Texas to spend Thanksgiving together right before Bo vanished. His mother is Amy Mann, and she seems to have been the family member who's the most vocal about his disappearance. Bo is also a gay man, and he recently came out of a long-term relationship. That The information about his sexuality might be a bit pertinent, just based on some things that have come out since his disappearance. So mm -hmm. that's why we've mentioned it right now. Bo flew back to L.A. from Texas after Thanksgiving on November 29th. His assistant picked him up at the airport, and we've seen some differing reports that say Bo was dropped either at his office or at his apartment. In an article from The Telegram and Gazette, Bo's mother says he was dropped off at his apartment, so we think that's the most likely situation. He ventured out later that day to get some takeout food, and he had a visit from a friend that evening. All of that was captured on CCTV, and it was verified to be him. So the next day, on Tuesday, November 30th, Bo was seen on CCTV leaving his apartment to go to a coffee shop, and his mother said that was normal behavior for him. At about 2 p.m. that day, CCTV at 7-Eleven captured him as he hefted a large backpack off and the contents, including laptop computers, spilled out. He repacked the bag and left the store at 2.06 p.m. with a large icy fountain drink in one hand, maybe a Dr. Pepper, <laughs> a bulky plastic store bag in the other, and a bandana covering the lower part of his face as a mask. From there, it's believed that he left 7-Eleven and got into an Uber or Lyft. Less than 10 minutes later, a text from his cell phone was sent to 911. I know texting 911 is kind of like a weird new thing. I don't think it's everywhere. It's like some places. Um, so I looked up a little about it for those who are interested in it from the FCC.gov website. It says, text to 911 is the ability to send text messages to reach 911 emergency call takers from your mobile phone or device. However, because voice calls to 911 provide more information to 911 call centers, you should always make a voice call to 911 during an emergency whenever possible. Text to 911 is only currently available in certain locations. The FCC encourages emergency call centers to begin accepting text, but it's up to each call center to decide the particular method in which to implement or deploy the technology. So there's bounce back messages. So if you attempt to send a text to 911 where the service isn't available, FCC rules require all wireless carriers and other text messaging providers to send an automatic bounce-back message that will advise you to contact emergency services by other means, such as making a voice call or using telecommunications relay service. So the bounce-back messages are intended to minimize your risk of mistakenly believing that a text to 911 has been made when it hasn't. So there's a big list that you can look at if you want to see if it's available in your area at um, the FCC.gov. Seems like a handy tool that hopefully will be eventually rolled out everywhere. Yeah, especially like if you're in a situation where you can't talk or something like that, like you're hiding, it'd be good. So the, mes the message said he was in an Uber, but gave no other information about why he would need help. Police attempted to reach out to Bo twice following the 911 message and got no response. The Uber driver has been spoken to and insists he dropped Bo off at his apartment. Amy, his mother, has watched hours of footage and has not seen Bo being dropped off or entering his apartment after the time the 911 text was sent. So the information about the apartment, I found it on a missing persons poster that I'm assuming was made by Bo's family. They go through the whole um, circumstances and kind of timeline of his disappearance. It says that he goes to the 7-Eleven, he buys a few items, he was then seen in an Uber sends the text and then the wording from the missing persons poster said the uber driver states that Bo was dropped off at the apartment in los angeles so i'm assuming the apartment is Bo's apartment because then it goes on to say about how amy looked at all the footage and could never he was never seen entering his apartment so i don't know i was wondering if there was some kind of disconnect but surely they asked him at you know which address did you drop him off and he would have said whatever the address for Bo's apartment is but it just seems the apartment is interesting if it was someone else's apartment or Bo's apartment but sounds maybe like, it's it like it was, a, yeah probably Bo's apartment maybe, maybe it's an apartment building where there's like a main entrance so the uber driver whoever would have been like i dropped him off at the building but then maybe the mom's saying like i never saw him go inside maybe that's like the 
discrepancy. Yeah, it also it does say he never. Well, it does say the actual wording on the thing says, having watched hours of video, never saw that Bo was ever dropped off or that he ever entered his apartment. I wonder what the so, camera situation is. Like, is it a camera from across the street where it's hard to see? Is the cameras literally in the lobby where it's clear? You know? There is some CCTV or footage of Bo right before he disappeared, but I don't know if that's from the 7-Eleven or whatever. But the, the footage, the video and the photos that I have seen, it's very clear. You can see wearing a hat wearing jeans, you know, but, yeah, again, I don't know where that was taken. It doesn't sound like it was probably from his apartment building. It may have been from outside the 7-Eleven. Yeah. So we're not entirely sure when his family determined that he was actually missing, but when they couldn't get in touch with him, they filed a missing person report. The first posts we saw online about Bo being missing were around December 8th. When his mom made the missing person report, she was disturbed when police insinuated that Bo may have left on his own accord. They suggested he might be enjoying a digital detox for a period. Sounds very LA. <laughs> they told she said that they told her I wouldn't believe how often that happens. Amy has said there's no way Bo would give up his cell phone as a digital detox. She has said he was always on it and when he wasn't he was talking about his baby Sobergrid. Bo had told Amy that he would go home for Christmas and never showed up. He also wouldn't have gone this long without speaking to his nieces or nephews, according to his family. His mom said he he told me he would come home this Christmas. He never forgets their birthdays or Christmas. Amy has said that she is not naive and realizes that Bo could have relapsed or suffered a mental health crisis. His family has been out to Los Angeles to search for him. They checked his apartment. They traipsed around looking for him, put up posters, pushed for police to do more. Bo's mother wants to be back in Los Angeles. But there's a lot of areas that you shouldn't really visit alone. Especially as a woman, yeah. Yeah, as a woman by herself. Um, and she said, my husband has to work and he doesn't want me to go back alone. Bo had told his mother before he disappeared that he was planning to meet up with a man named Blake Brown. Blake spoke to Telegram to the Telegram and Gazette and said he had done some work for Bo and stayed in his apartment sometime around August. He said the two were not dating but were friends with benefits, which he described as Bo allowing him to stay at his apartment with him for some time. Bo and Blake had met online. Blake said that Bo was texting him, wanting to hang out. Blake was out of town. Blake has not heard from Bo since he disappeared. Um, he said, I'm hoping that he's just walking around crazy, adding that the situation is seriously strange. It frightens him, and he wonders if man had a secret that no one knew about, which is like a weird thing to say. Hmm. The LAPD allegedly know that Bo and Blake had been in contact, but they have never questioned or been in touch with Blake. Amy has spoken out about what she thinks happened to Bo. She said she believes someone may have harmed her son, though she can't imagine why. She said he only just started taking a salary from the company, and if someone harmed him for money, they'd likely not get much. Maybe she thought someone saw the computer fall out of his bag and wanted them. She runs through theories, some plausible, like maybe he was hurt by one of the drivers in the rideshare vehicle. He could have been dating someone she didn't know, or perhaps there was a problem at work. She believes Bo had recently ended a long-term relationship and noted that he had been working hard at being less easy to take advantage of, even saying no on a few occasions during a trip she took with him to Aruba, which left her surprised. Bo, she said, has a good reputation and has helped many people. She's hoping that is enough to encourage others to help him now, to find him and get him home safely. Bo is described as a white man weighing about 220 pounds with brown hair, blue eyes, and is about 5 foot 10. There's a Facebook page called Find Bo Man, and, and it only has 100 followers at the time of recording. There's also a GoFundMe for him, and, you know, you can update, put updates on the GoFundMe. So the latest update on the GoFundMe is from February 3rd. It says, unfortunately, we have not found Bo yet. We have a ground crew who is going around places where Bo was last seen. They are interviewing people around those locations and putting up posters we have a private investigator who is working with us in the LAPD. We also found an outfit organized by mothers of missing adult children who are helping us. Please keep Bo and his family in your prayers. I think they've raised about nearly $7,000 so far on that GoFundMe to help them as well. One silver lining to the story is that Sobergrid still seems to be going strong despite Bo's disappearance. There's an article um, from January 17th, 2022 that says, Sober Grid and Credible Mind announced a commercial partnership designed to bring comprehensive resources to both parties, clients, and members in need, hosting the world's oldest social media community for those in recovery. 
SoberGrid has advanced into communities, labor unions, mental health systems, and more to provide peer recovery, coaching, and substance disorder relief. So it's nice that this platform that he built that seems to help a lot of people hasn't just totally fallen apart. It's nice that it's still carrying on to help people. What do we think happened to Bo? I don't know. I I don't know. The more kind of realistic part of me thinks that maybe he did relapse and he's either too ashamed to come forward or he is still in kind of the grips of his addiction so he won't come forward. Um, yeah. I, d- I don't know what his actual addiction was either. I've never really seen that stated, if it was drugs or alcohol or both. I don't know. It does seem weird though for it just to come out of absolutely nowhere but I guess also we don't know what had been going on I know that he'd just broken up with a a man who I think was his fiance um so maybe that was just kind of he was on the edge and he just got pushed over for whatever reason yeah I mean coming out of a serious relationship definitely seems like it could be triggering if you um are in recovery and like you said it depends who knows what he had was addicted to some things are more difficult than others Um, but at first I thought like, cause at first, obviously I thought, oh, maybe he relapsed, but then I was like, why would he text 911 if he relapsed? It seems kind of weird unless that was all part of the plan. Cause I feel like still in like an actual, mm, I'll I'll finish my thought, but then correct my thought (laughs) in like an actual emergency. Like I feel like still your instinct would be to call 911. But then again, if he was in an Uber or whatever, and maybe he couldn't, it just seems weird to text 911 unless that was part of his plan to try to throw people off because it seems like maybe he did relapse maybe he's feeling extra guilty about it especially as like the founder of sober grid i feel like there's a lot of pressure on you to not relapse like it's just probably seems like not a great look even though people would be understanding i'm sure but still probably a lot of pressure on him to not relapse and maybe just the thought of admitting it made him want to just disappear but who knows something something could have happened to him in the uber Something could have happened to him after he got dropped off. I wish we knew more exactly about what the text message said. Like if it was just, I'm in an Uber, help, or, yeah. you know, or even if that was just, yeah, I don't know. I would like, I wish we knew more. I feel like that could be helpful in terms of maybe figuring out more what happened to him. I'm sure they could tell that if he was actually in the Uber or not, because like on the app, it re- like records the drive, I'm yeah. guessing, like how long the ride was. And then like, what time did he send a text? Was he really in the Uber? At that time, I'm sure that's stuff that they could figure out. Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I can't figure out if maybe they have investigated the Uber driver and there is nothing there. Maybe he did drop him off. I wonder if they could tell Bo's family if, just say, for example, if he was dropped off somewhere else, if that's something they would tell them or if they can't because of privacy reasons. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So I did find the man who I think was Bo's fiance at some point online. His profile picture is Bo and his cover picture is of Bo and him and I'm assuming who were their two dogs. You know, when you search for his name on Facebook, there are a few posts about him, but there's just no further information. It says that he was seen on um, in the 7-Eleven at 2 p.m. and he texted 911 at 2 11. I don't know. His car and his keys are also at his office. I'm assuming the sober grid office. So he hasn't taken his car and gone off anywhere by himself. I wonder why that stuff would be at the office and not his apartment. Mm. I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe it depends on the parking situation. Maybe he has parking at the office and if he'd been in Texas, he didn't have parking at his apartment or something, so he left it at the office. Or maybe it was secure parking at the office. Yeah. There was a post made on December 13, so that was probably only around two weeks after he went missing, and they said there'd been no financial or communication activity. Law enforcement was involved and working on retrieving more data. Yeah, I think that's never a good sign because even if, unless he had like cash somewhere, because even if he he was like on a bender or something, you would want some money unless you're just living in like skid row. The other part I find interesting is about Blake. Um, I wonder if the police looked into him, if there were other men that maybe Bo had been chatting with and maybe that could be you know, where he's holed up at the moment. I think it's weird that he said maybe he has some secret that no one knows about. Like, I feel like that's just a weird thing to say. Yeah. Unless you know something. Even I've seen, like, some of the posts and they say, family and friends will offer a reward for any credible information that leads to finding Bowman dead or alive. Yeah, I, I feel like it's probably not looking great, but there is the chance that he could be 
somehow living somewhere or staying somewhere and maybe has relapsed and hopefully he will be able to. Or just like lost in the streets. Yeah. Like it has, uh, there's another case of a missing man that happened a while ago called Cameron Remmer, um, and they believe that he had a mental break and could be still living on the streets of San Francisco, and he's been missing for years and years. So I feel like this does happen occasionally, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that that could be what has happened. It's even similar to like Paul Swenson, possibly, except, you know, Paul Swenson ended up dying, but he did go on some sort of like mental break bender for a few days before. Yeah. Yeah. And, we, like, and obviously we know so little about Bo as well. Like we don't know if he's – like his family said he'd just been taking a salary. Maybe it was financial stress, the stress of breaking mm-hmm. up with his partner or fiancé. You know, it could be – there could be a multitude of things that we don't know about and one of them might have just been enough to kind of send him spiralling if that's what happened. Yeah. Well, hopefully there will be more information sooner than later. I did see yesterday his family have put up on his Facebook page a whole new bunch of photos, which is nice to get a bit more of an idea about his life. But, yeah, yeah still not too much information. I might just look up and see if he's on NamUs while we're on here still. So I just had a look and Bo is on NamUs, which is the missing persons kind of national database. Um, just says he was last known to be in Los Angeles on November 28, which I find interesting because he actually went missing on November 30, but I guess... He may have last been seen by his family and friends on the 28th. Yeah. It says he has a surgery scar on his abdomen from his belly button to his groin, has a black backpack, blue shirt, black hoodie, dark sneakers, navy pants, had two laptops, an iPad, and an iPhone in his backpack. That's literally all it says. So they have the laptops and stuff, or that's missing too, I'm guessing, I'm right? pretty sure that's all missing because they said there's been no – was with him. And no communications. So, and that was one of the theories that maybe someone had kind of jumped him or robbed him of his electronics. Hmm. I wonder if they could track the phone or any of it to like any extent before they died. I just feel like there must be more information that they can get from this Uber trip. Yeah, definitely. Especially if his mother's said that he isn't on CCTV getting out at his apartment. So, there's got to be some way they can dig more into that. Yeah, and hopefully they do. That's it. Everything we talked about in both cases will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. All the pictures, CCTV, anything else you want to see. If you just want to read more about the stories, it'll all be at our blog. Um, Follow us on Instagram. Always post down there, posting updates, posting links, new stories, old stories, uh, polls, chats, fun stuff. Definitely follow us there if you have an Instagram. And check out our forum at truecrimesociety.com, just a regular old school forum with usernames. Uh, lots going on there, lots to read. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify if you haven't done that already. A nice five-star one really um, boosts our confidence, makes us feel good. So five stars only, please. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. And as far as maybe next week or the week following, whenever it works out, we're Thinking about doing an episode on Susan Powell, like we've we've both always been very interested in that case, but I always just kind of assumed it was one of those cases like John Binet, like everyone knows about it. But there's been like a little update in her case, possibly, and we were posting about it, and so many people message us being like, Do you have a podcast on this one? Like, we want to know more about it. We've never heard of it before. So we're considering doing that one as the next one, which hopefully everyone will be into. Yes, it's a very, I assumed it was going to be a cold case forever, but maybe, hopefully based on these new updates, it might not be. And if you want to know the new updates, go to our Instagram and follow us. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, thanks for listening, guys, and we will talk to y'all next week. Have a good week. Bye. See ya.